Welcome back, Badgers. Was that energetic enough, Badge? That's better. I got in trouble last it's week. Bit David Bellamy. Well, welcome back, Badgers. 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 Welcome back, Badgers, to James Bledge. Say hello, James. Hi, everyone. Yes. And myself, Sam Cooper. We are back in Bledger's office, and it's a few days before Christmas now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started an episode last week, catching up with one another and and what we've been up to over the over the winter, autumn, winter. And we basically ran out of time. We still had more to talk about, so we're back to uh, to bore you a little further. But thank you to everyone who did listen uh, to our return episode last week. We're very grateful and appreciative of all the comments that we've received. Yeah, I think people were pretty happy to hear your beautiful ASMR tones again. And uh, for that reason, we'll keep cracking on, I think, yep. I have a friend who says it's very good to fall asleep to. So, um, Who's that? That's uh, Sudrick is oh always happy God. to... Uh, Does he to, listen to this? Has he got patience He claims to. to. Uh, mm. But I think it's just to send him to sleep rather than to, to actually learn anything from you. Yeah. Shout out Nick Sudrick. Um, but if he is. Uh, if he if he has indeed tuned in for the second second episode, that might have been enough. Uh, but yes, thank you all for for coming back and returning uh, to the second half of of this catch up. And Ledge, why don't we dive right in? I, I remember one of the things you'd written down that you wanted to talk about last week was um, was the Bernard's Academy. Yes. So, as you know, I'm quite into the education side of things. It's very important and. One of, well, the big news recently that Sammy Strutt leaving CEO of uh, Bigger to take up uh, a role that Craig Haldane is leaving uh, to do uh, Director of Education or something. I'm is not that sure. What she's doing? Oh, that's... Uh, it, it's, it, I don't know the exact title. She probably should have done my research. But she's taken over that role at Berners Academy Fantastic. To, to move that forward. And Sammy's expertise was always BTME, the education side of it, and she's done unbelievable things for all of us greenkeepers, which we're all and heavily indebted to Sammy for that, myself included. And I was lucky enough to be selected as part of the group to go down to near Cambridge to the, the Bernard's factory, uh, or Bernard factory, uh, for the pilot event. So that was, it's not about grinding per se, you know, it's all management stuff. It's all about uh, managing your team, empowering your team techniques to uh, develop your squad. And they're going to be offering, I think, about half a dozen different courses. Uh, the website is now uh, live. Uh, I'll ch- we can check that. We'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. yeah, we could we could do yeah, uh, and it's got all the details of how much all these courses cost. But we got the sneak preview into the the course itself, and it's very hands on. You know, it's not like one where you're sitting kind of falling asleep at the back of a class. Got to keep your wits about you. Uh, there was some great great speakers uh, of which were very very engaging, which I think is the most important thing in a course. You know, last thing you want. I mean, we're really blessed actually. Is, is Tough managers to, to have these great speakers at FTMI and Harrogate, uh, Michael Astrop, uh, Phil Helm, all these really energetic speakers, Frank Newbery, uh, and the Berners Academy was no different. And I think Sammy coming on to that will help grow that even more. I mean, her contacts through the industry, and it's 
they're not industry speakers, you know. They're, they're speakers that go into Coca Cola, that go into Sony. You know, they 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 go well, all over. Yeah. Uh, well, and can we take a, a a step back because there'll be many people listening to this who who know all about Bernards and and what they do. And you mentioned grinders mm-hmm. there, but equally there'll probably be plenty of people out there uh, that just go straight over the head to have no idea. So. What's the background on that company? Because I think it's quite interesting. So uh, the Bernard Company, uh, Stephen Bernard, I'm pretty sure Stephen Bernard was the is the the, the founder. Uh, they've been about for decades, uh, based and they have a factory in uh, probably Derbyshire. I've got, I'm I'm really, really factually bad the, tonight. I'm, 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 I'm under the cosh here. Haven't I'm coming. It's gonna get it's gonna get picked to shreds. This podcast. We're gonna get so many. Oh, well, it's actually not there. But uh, yeah, and uh, they've got another. Uh, oh, uh, it's the same place where the tacit place is. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I can't think. But uh, yeah, and and they have their headquarters uh, as well near Cambridge, and they they make fantastic grinders of which I've bought. A couple down at Deal. We have one here at Royal Liverpool, and we have the 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 competitors one as well. Believers in Education have supported the Bernard delegation, uh, which funds ten guys and girls to go across to America to the GIS every year, which is a huge one. Proper process in that interview process. You need to be really on point with that. And I was lucky enough to go in that 2013 with Akid. Was on it as well. Uh, we had a really great group. We, we did the San Diego one and there'll be 10 guys going out this year to Phoenix, uh, of which we'll talk about more in a second, but the, they've been great supporters and, I mean, let's... They're not going to... They make their money through grinders. You know, they're not... This isn't This isn't a big... They're not going to be... More about giving back, Rob. Totally, than. yeah. I mean, it's this... It, you see how much they charge for their courses. It's going to put a lot lot to put this on to employ the people to come in and do the speaking and have the space to do it. And they've kitted out these beautiful classrooms and it, it was a very comfortable space. And uh, yeah, these courses cost money to do, but like Bernard's aren't... I, I just get the feeling they're not going to be making loads and loads of money from this. This is just a... And what they make, I'm sure, by the sounds of it, it sort of goes back into the education element of it yeah exactly i mean obviously they're promoting their grinders as well at the same time which are but to be honest with them they they sell themselves you know they're that good so back to the layman ledge which is the role that i very easily play in this uh in this this relationship uh what's a grinder what do you use it for i know certain people out there um that i can think of will have a different idea of what grinder is uh but in greenkeeping (laughs) Yeah. What is a what is a grinder? What do you use it for? Who in your team would be using the grinder? Well, the, the so the mechanic uses our grinder and uh, very simply sharpens machines. So you have two types of grinder basically: uh, a bed knife grinder and a, a, a reel grinder. So sharpen you, the reel, sharpen the bed knife. And you can do what, relief grinding. I remember. Yes, you can do relief grinding. Our our mechanic Phil, big fan of relief grinding, works really well here. There's always a debate about whether uh, spin or relief grinding or about a mix of both, back lapping. It goes on forever. You know, and mechanics are quite basically into it. You've got the blades on the cylinder. Yes. That spin rounds. Yep. Blade on the on the bottom. Stone on yeah and uh, yeah and you have the stone that, that that spins and sharpens the the blade as it moves back and forward as the blade spins as well. The cylinder spins. 
And then, go. so uh, how often were you were you sharpening your uh, your your blades on your mowers? We, we sharpen quite a lot here because we put down a lot of top dressing and the sand. The top sand dressing blunts just blunts it. it exactly. Yeah, yeah. And Phil is an ama- he is an amazing mechanic because he actually comes to me saying, "I could do with getting these sharpened again." You know, a lot of it's it's a big undertaking. You know, it's a lot of work to take sole plates off. And I remember. Uh, John Mack saying once because he he's been all over the world sort of um, working on different teams and we very much need to get him on the the pod. I think his uh, his session in purgatory after going onto the Cookie Jar podcast before he can be invited onto Badgers has probably passed now. So we 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 probably should Mm. maybe make that uh, reach out to John. Um, But I remember him telling me once. I can't remember whether it was. Riviera, when I think he worked, did he work there for a while? He's he's done a lot of these places, yeah. When he did the scoreboards and, and stuff, Royal Melbourne uh, for a stint as well. It was one of those two. I can't remember which, and I'm sure that he said that they basically got the grinders out and and sharpened everything every week. Every uh, that, that, I, I hear the grinders going every week in our place, and and okay, Phil well, sharpened every, every single machine before they open. I mean, Luke did every single machine, and bearing in mind we doubled and tripled up with machines. I think we counted there was about a hundred units he did. Wow, which is an unbelievable undertaking. He was knackered by the end of it. Can you spot the difference when, you know, obviously if it's really blunt, then yeah, I'm sure it's obvious. You can but, massively spot the difference. But how how long do you think you'd go between sharpening things up? Before well, you start so it all de- it all depends on yield. It all depends on what you've got in the ground, ground conditions. The type uh, of grass you're cutting, would that make uh, a difference? I, definitely. I obviously there's more abrasive grasses than others. I mean, fescue cutting, the guys at Tarahiti might uh, have an, a, an easier time with a grinding than, than, say, someone in a warm season that's got Kikoyu or, or Bermuda, or, or, for example. But, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, sharp, keeping machines sharp is the single most important thing. Uh, and you'd always kind of liken it to if I was to cut you with a a surgeon's Stanley knife, a surgeon's blade. They don't scalpel. have Stanley knives, do they? I don't think they use. They don't. Knives. They get down the hardware shop. Doctor probably have a scalpel rather. Yeah, than yeah, yeah that's knife, what I meant but... to say. I'm all over the shop tonight. Uh, I've not even had a drink either. <laughs> this is maybe the that's problem. Probably been going wrong. Uh, so yeah, uh, uh, if I was to cut you with a surgeon's yeah. knife, uh, as opposed to a blunt knife. You, your cut would heal a lot faster yeah. instantly almost with a, with a surgeon's knife whereas the same with grass and that's how you really open the grass up to disease uh, like you would open your finger up to disease so it's probably I think the best it's something simile. that um, you know since we started doing this podcast pledge and I learn as much as I possibly can about agronomy and greenkeeping and everything from, from you um, I probably spent my whole life as a golfer not really thinking of grass as a plant Mm -hmm. in the same way that a you know pot plant is a plant and i or or, or, i know that sounds ridiculous because obviously it's a plant i know it's i do know it's a you know i've got a degree in biology i do know it's a plant but i mean i'd never really thought about it in the same way i never really thought about the susceptibility to disease and creating an environment Mm -hmm. and having a clean cut how that's going to Probably make it a bit. I don't more. think people really understand how how important it is it's, and this is the great thing about the Bernard's courses. They're they're really really pushing quality of cut. It's not only that you can tell straight away if it's off, but obviously when you're talking about the plant health, and there's, there's just absolutely nothing worse than looking down a fairway and seeing 
out of the five units of a fairy more, a couple of dark lines on the edge, each one of them. It does your head in, you know, you can tell, especially in ryegrass. If you've got partland course managers that are cutting ryegrass, they need to be super sharp. Do they blunt more quickly in a parkland environment as well? Because it's like worm casts, worm casts, a yep. bit more organic, bit more hundred percent, yeah. Dew maybe bit bit bit. I I don't know damper. what kind of. To be honest, I don't know what 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 effect the dew would have on it. Uh, rust and stuff. I don't. I'm not really sure. I mean, if it's proper cleaned off, but. Uh, there will be all these factors, but the the I mean, as I say, I know I know the basics and a bit more than that on it. But I mean, uh, it might be an idea that we get someone from Bernard's or, or yeah, well, we have absolutely should. Sure. And, and, and Steve and Nixon's a really good guy. We get, maybe we get we get Steve on uh, at some point if we want to kind of have a quick half hour on on, on that kind of stuff. I think and talk important. about the academy. Perfect, um, Steve and Sammy, if you're listening, please come on. I think they'd be a good guess because we could talk about the grinding and we could talk about the education side. Perfect. Well, cool. let's well, well. work on that one, Bledge. Excellent. Um, but the the last thing I wanted to ask on this matter is, you know, you were down there, you know, however long ago it was, a few a few weeks ago. Did that feel like a full circle moment as someone who's been the beneficiary of the uh, that trip that you went on to San Diego as, as part of the Berners delegation? Yeah, well, it was amazing to see it developing other stuff uh, and it's the first time I visit the factory as well and it was amazing when you walk through the factory I'm probably not answering the question but when you walk through the factory there's a guy there Peter on the left hand side and Steve had said well Peter has been here since the start so he will have made he will have made your grinder because they're all handmade uh, and it's fascinating like I mean the way that they pull everything together no wonder they cost so much but they last 30 odd years yeah Quality. Yeah. Well, that's that, that that is great. But why don't we just touch on the um, on that trip you went on? Because you mentioned it very briefly, and I tried to get you to talk to it, uh, and and you you um, you managed to sidestep it. But there were some people on that trip that your Berners delegation peers, mm-hmm. who I know have gone on to and have some great jobs, really yeah. interesting yeah. careers in the industry. How do you? How did you apply for that? How did you get picked for that? What did you have to do? And, uh, so and who was on it? Every every year it gets advertised. Uh, you uh, answer answer some questions. Uh, there's an application form that you fill out and it answers the kind of generic questions as to why you should be on it. And I always say to people, if you don't get it on the first year, just keep trying because it's there's people queued up that have been trying for years to get on it, which is really good. Uh, so it's always massively popular. Uh so the year I went on it, we had, and it's actually really cool because we were all, not many of us were course managers, but it was me, John McLaughlin now, course manager of Wallasey, uh, Simon, uh, Simon, uh, Simon Oliver, who, who's course manager at Ganton. And the guest on this podcast, if you reel back to episode two or episode yes. three, maybe. Yes, uh, yep, yep. Uh, Steve Lloyd, who's at the Worcestershire, uh, Jamie Wade, who's at the Belfry. So they're all, all head greenkeepers now, you know, uh, and a couple of guys that are no longer in the industry. But uh, it was a it was a it was a smashing group. We we had we always I think everyone that goes on the Bernard's trip says, "Oh, we but we had the best group." But I actually think we did have the best group. Hmm. Well, clearly a lot gone on to um, some some really important jobs in the industry. Is is Steve? Uh, was he captain of bigger chairman? Uh, I, Steve bigger chairman, I think. Yes, I yeah or. Yeah, or similar president or similar ilk or something like that. 
There you go, Bled. Something you to get you some to more aspire to. I know. Um, Senior that, roles in the industry. It's never going to be me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Happy being a member. Clearly, <laughs> clearly something that um, has stuck with you for a long time. And, and Yeah, it's been great. Great to see that they're investing in it. I have still. actually got a magazine in that cover that's got the, the front cover on it. So the next time you, you get a good talk on, I'm going to jump up there and see if I can pull it well, out. Why don't, why don't we take a photo of that afterwards and stick yeah, it on Yeah, we there. can put that on as Stick well. it on the socials. Yes. A, fe- a fresh... A fresh-faced James Bledge. And what what did you do on that trip? Well, do you know because... the best thing about that trip, actually? I When I was 13, my parents took me to America, and I got I was so lucky to play Tory Pines. And I took a picture at the first tea sign with Tory Pines with my, my Ping L8 bag and my Lynx, Airnails Lynx cap, I think I had, or a tailor-made cap on it, maybe. Uh, and I recreated it when I was on the Bernards delegation. Oh, good. Which is amazing. So that was that was probably one of the highlights for me. Yeah. Where's the um the GCSAA show next year? Not this coming year. But San Diego. The, there you go. So you could potentially. Yeah. So if uh, uh, anyone's listening, you need to you need to you need to get on that. You really do. So the but Phoenix this year, we could maybe bump onto that. May as well just. Well, Why don't we? So both of us are going to BTME and Harrogate in yep. January, and then. I think it's then the, it's literally immediately the, the week afterwards. Mm. Uh, hop on a, a plane to Phoenix. So yes. you are. I, I did my first GIS and indeed my first BCME this year, Bledge. So you are the expert on both of those matters when I am not. But why don't you talk to our listeners about Harrogate first? Well, Harrogate, one of the highlights of my year, uh, BTME British Turf Managers Exhibition. Uh, Harrogate, beautiful town in, in Yorkshire. Uh, it's got everything, great restaurants, great pubs, and a massive big conference centre, really nice places to stay. One of the biggest Weatherspoons that I've been in. Yeah, and it's a class Weatherspoons as well. You don't actually <laughs> you go anywhere else for a lot of people. You walk down the stairs in Weatherspoons and you just see greenkeepers, and it's great. You know, I think Jim Croxton, who uh, has been on a couple of times on the pod, said to me that, Weatherspoons is BTMA as far as he's yeah, concerned. Yeah, it's good. They should just hold it at Weatherspoons. <laughs> Save a they few pretty quid. much do. <laughs> but uh, no, it's it's great. I mean, they they, they put on uh, education from Sunday right the way through to Tuesday, and they have a, a tough managers conference as well for two days, which is in the big hall. They have an award ceremony, opening ceremony. Uh, there's a, a lot of opportunities to uh, go out at night. To, for nibbles with different manufacturers and catch up with people and then on the, the, the Wednesday, Thursday and Friday morning they have the show so uh, it's like an agricultural show I guess or a horticultural show where they have all the machines fertiliser stands all the latest technology Arnie have got a stand STRI, bigger uh, and you can just muzzle your way around there and, and speak to people it's it super. felt like to me, um, you know, as a relative outsider going going to it for the first time, it was essentially a structured way of basically just getting all of your crowd together mm. to chat, see each other. Perhaps might be the one time in a year when when all of you can you know, catch up with each other, share ideas, um, tell you tell you know, share what you've been doing, what's worked, what's not worked, you mm-hmm. know, the issues that you face. And that must be one of the the real kind of benefits uh for going that collegiate approach that you can take to the industry. Yeah, I think so. And and it, it for me it gives me a lot of reminders 
I'm quite forgetful. Uh, but when I when I, I pace the the halls in Harrogate, uh, I get to meet people that I'm like, oh god, I actually need to look at that or do this or I need to start that project, and you see different ways of doing stuff. Uh, and it kind of that time of year when you've made your budget in the November, it really kind of cements the products that you want to use the next year, or you can push reps and getting. Oh, you said you were going to bring this in for us. Come on, let's get let's get on with this or that. Uh, uh, it's super, isn't it? A good time of year when, I guess, January, February, two worst months of the year. Perfect time for people to write slap bang in the middle of the country. I wouldn't want it to be anywhere else, to be honest. I think it's absolutely ideal what it is. Seems like it works perfectly. Yeah, yeah. And then from Harrogate in the golden wind, no doubt, mm-hmm. we're then hopping on a plane and both going to Phoenix. Never been we? before. So exciting. super excited about that. Um, staying with me, me and John are staying in the ghetto. We've got, <laughs> we've got an Airbnb in the ghetto. John doesn't know this yet. Oh, jo- John, <laughs> you stick, stick, stick with John. Uh, I'm sure you two will survive perfectly. Uh, yeah. So but, we're, we're we're doing that. I'm I'm doing a talk actually at GIS, which is good. exciting. First time I've taught. I've always always wanted to talk at, at GIS, but. Uh, this is after what the year we had last year. I guess it's the first time they've allowed me because I've got something interesting to talk about. So, and I assume that will be the the topic of the talk, talking about your experience. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's the same talk as I've. So I've done about uh, six talks recently. I actually was going to have a. Remember, I joked a while back about making a band T-shirt with. Uh, all the like the, the kind of tour <laughs> down the back, so we, we did, door. I know we did, we, uh, it's not the most narcissistic thing I've ever heard, but uh, it was just going to be a bit of fun. But the the, the first one we did uh, was uh, West Kirby Primary School, which there is the go. week after Jen's uh, first green thing. So it was like a brush up of that, and it was the single most enjoyable talk I've ever done. The kids. Uh, hands up in the air for everything, every single question's all the way through. And one wee girl, there's 50 kids in the in the classroom. I was like, does anyone know what animal this is? It's a toad, it's a toad. No, it's, yeah, what what, what, what kind of toad is it? What kind of toad? <laughs> it's a narjack toad, sir. I'm brilliant, excellent. And they're all got their hands up. And this wee girl in the middle was like, uh, sir, sir, do you know what a golfer shouts when a ball's going near another golfer? And I says, well, what, what do they shout? They shout four. And I was like, Excellent, brilliant, well done. I says, well, we, will we try that now? Their knowledge base is is significantly ahead of half of the, it, the members. I can't know exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I says, will we try that now? And I shouted four. And I said, what do they do when they, we shout four? And she went, we all duck like this. And she puts her hands in the head and get down. I said, brilliant, let's try that then. And I was shouting four, and there were all those fifty kids ducking below their tables, putting their hands in their heads. And I could look at the teachers, and they were like shaking their heads, <laughs> but. <laughs> Every now and then through the talks, I'd half an hour, I would just shout four and then they would all jump down. Uh, and it was such great fun. I absolutely loved it. I came out buzzing, you know, and I said, like, sir, sir, uh, can you give me advice on how I would be a greenkeeper? And stuff? Oh and I'm God. like, you're like nine years old. In fact, probably less than that. I think they were maybe like seven or something like that. So uh pretty amazing i came out buzzing from that you know and that's why i like to do public speaking uh then we did bolton at the north conference bolton wonders football club which is good was, we, was that a similarly enthused audience i uh, uh not quite but i don't think you'd ever get as enthused <laughs> as the enthusiastic as the kids but now that was really good as well enjoyed that uh and then 
where else we did but we did uh i done a seminar online for icl but that was tough because you can't see can't get the feedback exactly yeah and i don't know i think my videos maybe didn't work too well either uh, they were maybe a bit glitchy couldn't, the software couldn't handle it tip for anyone never doing public speaking don't put videos in so worth it when they work but and i'll keep keep pushing it because it's i'm gonna be putting a couple of videos in my american one but uh they're tough they are tough yeah I'm, but uh, i'm sure the uh i'm sure the bandwidth in phoenix will be a bit ahead of yes hopefully your hopefully. office by the shed but uh the i'd also and i might add when we did the icl one it was after we had that quite substantial heavy lunch at royal liverpool uh, <laughs> where, oh the day after yes oh, I, um, so I was not in a good place my head was absolutely bursting there you go so you and, can't blame the broadband it yeah, was, it yeah, was but, the, uh, I know but I think I, I probably I was professional enough and pulled it through but I was I wasn't in a I was a bit hungover well but, if uh, anyone listening to this was on that and would like to say otherwise then please please do write it <laughs> um, because because now we have the real reason I think um, I'm blaming you for that anyway <laughs> Dessert wines and all sorts. No, but, uh, nothing wrong but with the, that. The, going on from that, I was so lucky to talk at uh, Dumfries and Galloway Golf Club, my home club. So, so that's where you started your greenkeeping journey. Exactly. So I was there eight years from 17 years old. Uh, and the captain, Graham Douglas, had asked if I wanted to talk to the members, and they thought we would turn it into a kind of charity event. Uh, and they sold 90 tickets. Bloody hell, sell out crowd. Yeah, and they had a buffet and stuff, so it was great. Mum and dad were there, my aunt Marlon was there, I've never seen her for years. A lot of my friends, mum and dads, they opened it up to people, not just at the club, you know, it was on Facebook, so they could see it around the town. Uh, and Did they have a big screen in Dumfries City Centre? I, <laughs> I know, be funny. But the, the uh, it, it was, honestly, I was so overwhelmed that, People wanted to come and listen to us speak. I think I spoke for over two hours, which is great. We had like an hour then an interlude uh, so people could grab a drink. But great questions from, from everyone and they, they all really, really enjoyed it. I got stand innovations. Uh, and I always, I, I think it was probably one of the most rewarding nights of my life. I was absolutely gobsmacked at just how everyone wanted to listen to a wee boy from Dumfries talk about his kind of life story. You know, I split it up. I talked about the Galloway, my memories of, of, of the Galloway. And I put a lot of humour in it, you know, because they were expecting like an after dinner speaker, you know, it's a lot of lads there and stuff. And, uh, but I put loads of funny stories in there. So we had a lot of great laughs and I knew who was going to be in the crowd. So kind of designed the talk around them. Uh, so, Ah yeah, and then uh, and uh, it was give out some gifts and made some quizzes and stuff. And well, I know how much it meant to you, and um, we entertained, didn't we? Or um, uh, a few of the guys came yes, came uh, down yeah, to play, yeah, 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 and we yeah. had a great uh, we had a great day down here playing golf. And um, they said, I didn't tell you this at the time because I didn't want to make your head any bigger, bledge, But I might may as may as well do it now. But they said how. Um, how proud they were that basically the bloke they you know they've seen grow up has gone on to do such great things and mm, and that's really nice. that must be rewarding for you and and the opportunities that greenkeeping has given you to end up having a story worth telling to uh, a load a load of guys who who you've known for 
what 30 40 years yeah it's, it's huge for me actually and, and it's when people say what's the best thing about the open a lot of the best things haven't come from the open week they've come from what i've got out of being an open course manager after it or before it you know or all the privileges i had of like the shooting the sky sports video uh, kind of doing all that stuff meeting certain people and then being able to do the talks afterwards and I just I can't wait for the American one you know it'll be that'll be it after that it'll be done you know, and then I'll be on to designing new talks maybe if, if, if we want to do anything else but find something else for you to talk about Pledge um, but how how do you just going briefly back because obviously you are now um, taking the the Pledge tour to Phoenix for those who haven't been to the American version of uh, of BTME, because that's kind of mm-hmm. what it is really, isn't it? Uh, what do you find the difference? What strikes you um, uh, as, as the difference between between the two versions of the event? Well, it's typically American in the fact that it's huge. The scale blew me away. I mean, you would have seen that in Orlando. In Orlando. It's, uh, and they say that it's Orlando is a lot smaller than than what it usually is, but I mean, it's yeah. would you say it's five times bigger than Harrogate? I don't could, know because Harrogate, be. the way the conference uh, hall or whatever you call it is, sort of laid out. It's a lot of smaller rooms, isn't it? So, mm. um, it, it for me it was almost tricky to get my head round. Sort of if you added up all of the various rooms together, whereas we went into the place in orlando and christ it was like, it's going like a big into aircraft hangar yeah and it was typical american conference center and they actually if you remember there was a tree in there didn't they? they planted a full-size tree yeah there was a golf hole if you remember there was a golf hole there, there were diggers and stuff there's a nascar yeah <laughs> there were <laughs> there dogs dogs there were dogs what were they the, the geese dogs yeah someone won a dog didn't they yeah they won a dog they were, i remember remember we've seen that me and harriet seen this guy going away with a dog at imagine, the end of it. Imagine Rocky, Imagine going to Orlando. And Orlando Airport on the way calling, home. Calling your missus. Come oh, on, Fido. No, never going to believe what I want. Yeah. Coming home with I've a... I've a brown and white sheepdog. Coming back with a, with a collie. Yeah. But they were they were amazing, weren't they? And they're, yeah, yeah. I'm guessing that's not something that really is as much of an issue in, in Britain as America. What, no, what sort of getting geese, rid of the geese. Uh, yeah. Maybe it's, uh, Bearwood Lakes and some of these places, but... What do you do when you get to the anything to declare customs bit and you've got a dog? Is that part of your hand luggage? Yeah. It? But very, very impressive. So I'm looking forward to, to Phoenix because, am I right in thinking, Bledge, it, it rotates around. Is it just those three places? Uh, it yeah, I think through? that's the three now, yes. Phoenix, uh, Orlando, San Diego. It, it did used to go to Vegas, but I think... There was, <laughs> Who thought <laughs> that was a good idea? <laughs> Greenkeepers coming back, divorced and skint with huge big credit card bills. And then the other one was San Antonio, which I really enjoyed San Antonio, but I think the weather's kind of hit and miss. <clears throat> uh, so Phoenix will be awesome. And uh, I think Arkad and I might be playing Whisper Rock when we're across there. Very nice. Very after nice. uh, got to combine, you know, you got to go and look at those warm season grasses, bledge, increase your yeah, increase your knowledge. Get the warm season, which is I'm sure that's the reason you're going zero, zero just now. Uh, I, I think that'll be amazing. Uh, yeah, so I think there's talk about uh, going to the Rainbird factory as well, possibly. So is that where they're based? Uh, just outside Phoenix, yeah, somewhere else in Tucson, maybe Tucson, Arizona. Yeah, 
Uh, so might be doing that. Uh, but I'm sure we'll fill our week. Uh, it will include chicken wings and Yingling American Lager, Very which good. was my favourite. Remember that stuff? Mm. Dark, like oh, a Boston lager. Drinking? Yeah, it was, was nice weird. though. It was a dark lager. It was beautiful. Well, no? if anyone out there listening is is coming along to the show in Phoenix and wants to say hello, please do uh, you know drop us a line because we met up with a few people over in Phoenix. It'd have been last good if year. we could have done a bad just podcast at the. Uh, because they, they have open podcasting space because we've seen Joe, Joe Galotti. Well, let's work, let's work on that because yeah. um, it, it is nice. I, I think that it's something that always amazes me, to be honest, Pledge, is the fact that golf is played over such a diverse array of landscapes and, and America kind of encapsulates that better than anywhere, doesn't it? You mm-hmm. know, you've got every climate, every budget, every mm. well, it's style of golf that you could possibly yeah, yeah. imagine and, and they all gravitate to this this place. So I'm sure there'll be a lot of but interesting folk there. I'm visiting somewhere that I've got I've never ever seen desert golf ever. So this is going to be new for me. You know, I've 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 grown up years of watching uh, World Match play when it was at Scottsdale. Was it Scottsdale National? Okay. Uh, which is up north. I flew over Phoenix on the way back from San Diego, and I remember looking out the plane window because I always wrestle someone for the window seat. I love them, a child when it comes to that. But I remember starting to fly over Phoenix and then closing the blind or whatever, and then opening it up ten minutes later, and I was still flying over Phoenix. <laughs> It's absolutely massive. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's just grids, grids everywhere, isn't it? Lights. It is always amazing. I I find the juxtaposition between the deserts and the golf courses. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, when you see the photographs of... The one I'm thinking of is... uh, It's the one where Tiger and Phil played their match in... Oh, um, yes. Shadow Creek. Right, yes. Uh, And obviously that's a different desert or a bit to the west over in Vegas. Vegas, yeah. yeah. But you you see the photographs of that and... and Mm. Okay, you know, Mr. Fazio there has created something that is like a Garden of Eden mm-hmm. um, and obviously a very different style of golf than the one that we usually play over here. But um, as a feat of engineering, oh, aye. Yeah. the juxtaposition, you go from one grid to the next and you've got, you know, this beautiful, lush um, landscape there mm. and then you go over the fence and it's it's literally the desert, completely flat. I think if you if you are a lover of golf... You love all golf. Like I'm really not snobby when it comes to golf at all. I mean, I, I, I yeah, I like Lynx golf, but I think Heathland golf's one of my favourite. But uh, I think it's uh, you really need to appreciate every single type of golf, low budget, high budget, no matter where the hell it is. And Absolutely. So uh, when we play golf, we're across at GIS. Any of these times, we've played some really strange wee courses and they've been amazing fun you know I mean you played Winter Park last year didn't you in Orlando I was very excited to go to Winter Park um, which is for those who are unfamiliar it's a nine hole municipal golf course in uh, in the Winter Park region of Orlando it's probably about and a 40 minutes from where most people in might, uh, might gravitate to in Orlando if they were going on a holiday but Christ, what a brilliant, brilliant example of what can be done on a municipal site. It's nine holes. It is uh, the, the the guys there basically invested, got a couple of the great architects in um, who transformed the golf course and essentially built a fantastic set of greens. You know, it's rarely complicated. If you can build a, 
an amazing set of interesting, engaging, fun greens, and then have a golf course where there's almost no heights of cut. It's 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 short grass, but the architecture comes from how you play your shots into the greens. Then you can basically create something quite economically that's easy to maintain, that is, you know, engaging every single time you play it for all classes of golfer. And really, you know, as an example of municipal golf, it never has to be more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of things that we're trying to to get going, uh, which really draw on some of the some of the learning, some of the things that were on show there and a number of other places which have inspired me around the world. I think a good example might be one um, next door to Royal Melbourne, which I've not been to. But I'm looking forward to seeing at some point, hopefully not in the far dif- distant future. Um, that was a place called Sandringham mm. Golf Golf Course there. And now it, it's been taken over by Royal Melbourne. They got the OCM guys in, uh, you know, the guys who for, for a long time uh, uh, were, were Clates, my colleague, Mike Clayton's colleagues. Uh, and Google the Sandringham. And now it's called Sandy Links. You know, it had a rebrand. They invested in the architecture. They invested in the design. And just like Winter Park, uh, it is the perfect example of by investing in the quality of the product, they've created something which people want to play. And it's good value and it's affordable. Uh, and it's essentially, you know, they have the same Sutton's green mix that they, they have at Royal Melbourne. And there you go. It's it's Sandbelt golf. It's the type of golf that the Sandbelt is so famous for. But rather than going to the likes of Royal Melbourne or Kingston Heath or Victoria or Metro or, you know, some of these other courses, anyone can go to Sandy and play it for, uh, you know, a very, very modest green fee. Uh, and and have the sandbelt experience for a fraction of the cost with access for all, and I think it basically just underlines that point that I'm getting at here, where if you do something really well, quality is the best business model of all when it comes to golf course and golf course design. And you do love these bunkers that are cut right into the edge of the greens. That's so typical sandbelt, isn't it? Yeah, it, I, think, I mean these any of these Royal Melbourne Metropolitan etc. Et are all. On my on my absolute bucket list, I'd love to do a Southern Hemisphere trip. Tari. well, especially Melbourne. You know, obviously, it's it's something that I haven't been to, like to get to soon. But um, the fact that Clayton and, and Lucas, my colleagues over there, uh, that's that's the kind of golf that that they know best of all. And he, um, Clayton, must have won round there, did he, on tour? Around around a Royal Melbourne. Royal Melbourne. Uh, I I don't know. That's a good question for him. We need to get him on the pod, don't we? Um, but Clates definitely has um, knows that part of the world just about as well as you possibly can. But firm golf, you know. I think I remember asking asking Alistair Begg once, you know, what's the firmest that he found with the Clegg Hammer, and I remember him saying that he got the Clegg Hammer out at Royal Melbourne and almost broke the thing. Mm. I think it was 190 or 200. Uh, yeah, it's the, the, the sand structure at these places is so, it's so fine. It's that unique, it, yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's the sand shape is enough for the water to infiltrate and percolate through, but the, 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 the size packs so well that it becomes really, really firm. I've seen actually people uh, like bouncing a ball and catching it on it. Yeah, and they all take their... 
uh, you know, the little three-wheel trolley things and, and take them off across the green, the greens, yeah, yeah. and it's not going to make any uh, any any issue to them. Uh, they're not going to notice any wheel prints after because it's so it's so bloody firm. Um, and that's the reason I think they can get the bunkers, isn't it, Bledge, in, in that way, because they can just cut a, a line yeah, almost so straight down. And, and it stays together. And it doesn't collapse, which, yeah, of yeah. course, is what it uh, would do over here. If you had coarse sand, then it would just fall straight in. Uh, very interesting. But, yes, um, Winter Park was somewhere that I was really impressed, impressed with and looking forward to finding something similar, hopefully, in the Phoenix area. Yeah, well, hopefully. Well, are you, are you taking your clubs with you, Sam? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to... Um, uh, I, I've lined up somewhere just beforehand, so uh, I'm looking forward to playing a bit of golf over there. It's just nice out of when it's so cold and wet and miserable here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To go and see the sunshine, isn't well, it? Well, I, I did something shameful the other day. Go on. Uh, I bought some iron covers on eBay. That could be, Ledge, <laughs> the end of the podcast. There's, there is a reason for that, though. Uh, well, it, it better be a good one. For, well, for when I take the clubs in the plane, they don't chatter about. And then I'll take them straight off. Is that a good enough reason? Yeah, yeah, Because I'll put them on, fly them there. Second I get off the plane, they'll be coming off in and the stored in the bin. But yeah, I mean, we don't really talk about golf equipment on this podcast. However, iron covers are the absolute cardinal sin. If anyone uses iron covers, I don't really know them. You, you, you can backtrack all you want, Bledge, but you are now that person. No, no, they, they will not be entering the golf course with me, I'll tell you that. That is funny. There's a guy, Dan Trice, at Royal Sinkports, and I used to always hammer him for, for having iron covers. Dan, don't look at me. Don't look at me until you get rid of these iron covers. Well, unacceptable. I think on that bombshell, should we move on, yes. Bledge, to some of the questions we asked? Um, very short notice, but um, through on Instagram, if anyone had any questions for us. Uh, that we might be able to to get to a couple of them this this, this afternoon. And Ledge, what um, are people asking? Let's have a quick look. Should I start? Cause I've Go got for a question it. Yeah, for you. you have them all there. Well, the question I have for you is um, is is actually slightly less about agronomy and more about archaeology. Okay. It comes from the resident archaeologist of of the Wirral Detectorist Club. Uh, a guy called Danny Power. Right. Have and, I met Danny? Mm, I think you'd remember no. if you had met Danny. Um, Danny wants to know Hi, if you've ac accidentally found something of archaeological merit on a golf course. Yes, I have. I've got a very have good you? story about that. So, uh, the years ago, we had at Royal St. Ports down the, the, the north end of the course, there was a field that we called the Roman field for that exact reason, but it was called that after we made the discovery. Uh, and we used that for sand mining. Because, uh, I mean, I guess at the BC, that whole area was all water, you know? Okay. Uh, so... Uh, I was digging in there once and I came across a pot and I jumped out the cab of the digger and I swore it said Denby on it, but <laughs> uh, I phoned the archaeologist and he came up uh, and I've actually got a video uh, about this on, if you look on the Royal Sink, maybe we can put that in the notes yeah, as well. Yeah, uh, So, yeah, this pot, the guy, it was it was dated 100 to 150 AD. So, so who did you call? proper ancient. Who did you call when you find a, a Who are you going like to call? That? Uh, it was the Dover Archaeologist Society or something like that, yeah. And then I don't think that's going to catch on. Is they it? They come up in their blues and twos, uh, 
and uh, they were they were great. Hey, I think I could have just brushed it under the carpet, but it's it's too important stuff like that. No, it's very important. Really, I think it's Be like awesome. Episode of Detectress, otherwise, well, it? When I, he finds I, I, the I know I, mosaic, and then the next day it's it's gone, and, and then there's a dine next thing. There's a T Rex. Yeah, he's digging well, a T Rex up in the course, and then the course gets shut for a year. Well, well done, Bledge. But the the uh, he explained. I mean, he looked at the soil profile, and you could say, look, there's the hearth of the fire. They would have been cooking shrimps here in bare feet. Unbelievable, and, that, oh, isn't it? That's cavemen type. I mean, 150 AD. Yeah, that's not. Cavemen. I can't even. I can't even get my head around that. What's happening in 150 AD? Well, it's a long just, time ago, but it's not Jesus quite caveman and times. Well. Robes and Jesus sandals <laughs> and beards and long hair. Yeah, I think it was probably just a slightly less. Uh, Digital version of kind of where we are. I need are to now. Google 150 AD. I need to get this. What are you right expecting? To, you're not going to find any photos on Google from. Uh, well, you might have. Well, I bet you do. Wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> anyway, so that was that. That's uh, Anno Domini images. I don't don't think they are cameras. 850 Romans, years ago. It's Romans, isn't it? Romans, the Roman era. So they reckon this. There was a, a yeah. So the drinking pots. Uh, were made in Cheltenham, okay, and brought down. Uh, but yeah, that, I all there'll be a, a a load of Roman coins in there. And I thought, so you want to get your metal detectors down there? But yeah, so uh, it was a Roman road that went through deal. That's what the, is that the, the ancient, ancient highway? Is a Roman road? Yeah, yeah. So um, so the ancient highway that is that the bit that goes across the course. It's not the yes, I. It's the one that it's goes across track. the um eleventh the eleventh fairway. Yeah, the little sleepers bordering it. Yes. Well, Wouldn't it be funny if I put in 100 to 150 AD, I just Googled it, and then that video came up? I think there are probably a few other things of even perhaps, dare I say, more archaeological significance than, than your pots, but that is a hell of a thing to find on, yeah, a, yeah. on a golf course. Yeah, well, the guy was super excited about it. I mean, he was absolutely... As you'll see in the video, he was he was pretty pretty. Chuffed. Yeah, well, well, you have to send me the link to that pledge, and we'll stick that in the show notes. Yeah, I'll chuck it on, we'll chuck it on. Good question, good question. That's a good I like question, that one, Danny. a bit different. Okay, well, the next question um, is about golf courses uh, and the agronomy of them. And Paul Hughes wants to know, apart from divots and apart from pitch marks, what would be the number one thing that members can help you with? And I'm going to say, especially over the uh, over the winter winter months when it's when courses are just under that bit more pressure. Uh, yes, yeah, so I mean, we're obviously blessed here having free draining from surfaces at Hoy Lake but I mean for our brothers on the Parkland golf courses that are I mean we've had so much rain here over the past month two months I mean we're hitting the metre mark I would imagine a lot of courses in the world and all across Liverpool and the northwest are closed and have been closed for a long time uh, places that are that don't close whether it be for business model or for memberships that are pushy then yeah I mean do them a favour. Get rid of your bug. Get rid of your buggies and your trolleys. Switch to, switch to half sets. I don't think you need a full set this time of year. Pencil bags. What a difference! I mean, some you can walk in some Parkland courses and just make so much damage with trolleys. Really, Mud. just just what you, you. It's basically the ground sodden. You're yeah, yeah. Too much saturated. pressure on them. You, 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 it, it pushes up the worm. Cast see brown it. marks everywhere. Right? It just brings the brings the mud. If it's saturated, it just brings the mud right to the surface. Uh, and it just it's 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 damage that takes yonks to to fix, whereas I mean, greenkeepers try their best to rope areas off to push people around the right way. Go where the greenkeeper wants you to go. Yeah. Don't 
cross ropes or pull your trolleys or take shortcuts, repair your pitch marks, put your divots back, look after your golf course, write your bunkers properly. It is an unbelievable kind of, um, this was a reflection of the human condition, isn't it? Uh, and, you know, we think about this a lot with my architecture hat on, but you're going out ostensibly for a three and a half hour walk. Eight kilometres plus, yeah. But you still want to take the shortest, shortest possible yeah. walk. Well, you'll see what I've done here recently. I've taken out quite a lot of the back tea banks. Some of our back tea banks have gorse bushes around them. And people have to walk around the gorse bush and up onto the left or the right of the tea. But people walk through the gorse bush yeah. to get straight on the tea. So I'm kind of like at the point, and I was the same at deal. Sometimes it's like you can't beat them, join them, just fix it. Let them go that way, and well, we'll that's it. You know, it's out. almost you got to accept that you're fighting a losing battle. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right. And, and and it makes sense. You just have like, look, if they're going to go the shortest route, then they'll always will. Like you can, there's nothing worse than having posts and rope everywhere when you don't need to. No. You don't need to have posts and rope everywhere if you're going to open the backs of these tees up. You know, a lot of when we played very lucky years ago. After my, I remember it was after my fortieth. Uh, myself, Rob McGurk, Liam Brown. Sean McLean, Rob Lee from the Steam Group. Uh, we got a, a, a first plane out of London up to Edinburgh on a Monday morning, uh, and we played Dunbarney. And it was before it was a year before it even opened, so I think we were like we would have been the very first people ever have played it, pretty much. Maybe a handful of folk before. Me. It was what an experience, but I'm pretty sure there they were letting people play it first to see where they were going to walk before they put the paths in. There's a great study um, uh, I, I remember reading once, and it was a university in, um, in America, and they basically did exactly that. Mm -hmm. They had this quadrangle or whatever, this, this, this area of, of grass, and rather than just build path straight Where through you the think middle they're of it, go, yeah, yeah. they left it a year. Mm -hmm. waited for the the sort of little evidence goat tracks to, to form, tracks yeah, to form. Yeah, yeah. and then they built the uh they built the the, the hard standing paths over where they were yep and, and then golfers walk another way <laughs> when you open it they go the opposite way. Yeah, yeah and then the other the other thing is i can't remember who it was uh but i remember reading something from you know architects 100 years ago who almost advocated that you did exactly that when it came to bunkering the fairways you know you you can as an architect, you can make best guesses and, and have strategies and ideas of what you're trying to get people do, to do, how they how they tackle the holes that you create. Um, I'm a big believer, as you know, Bledge, that you know, greenside bunkering is, is the most important sort of group of bunkers on the golf course because mm -hmm. they, they are relevant to every type of golfer, no matter how far they hit the ball, no matter where they... Uh, almost, almost wherever they're coming in from, uh, a really well defended green uh, with with good bunkering and good runoffs and all that kind of stuff is always going to be relevant. Whereas fairway bunkers are very very tricky to get right, especially if it's on a windy site because everyone hits the ball a different distance. Yep. Um, and the wind can blow one direction. Relative one day, the next day not relative. So there might be a certain day of the year where. I'm playing off the right tee. That means that the wind is blowing in the right direction. That means that the fairway bunker is exactly where I want to hit my drive. But mm. for that to then be the case for every other golfer that day, uh, it's not just unlikely, it's actually just zero. It's not going to be the case. So 
Um, I think he advocated for basically wait, waiting for, uh, for for balls to collect. I'm not sure that's an approach that you'd necessarily take, but it does highlight the point that you know patterns form over time, and there's mm. putting a you know a rope up or a, or a line up or a painting it's something really turn left the problem, it doesn't it? work. There might be a fundamental issue, mm. and that's probably worth a quick a quick point. Um, what do you think of paths versus wider mown areas? So what I mean by that before, because uh, I haven't made that very clear, obviously at Hoylake we are very lucky that the paths that we have around the golf course, the grass paths are, <clears throat> are beautiful and irrigated and I appreciate that that's very expensive and beyond... Mm the uh the the resources of many clubs out they're pretty much fairy standard paths they're extraordinary grass supposed to face you and also places have done something similar um but the my favorite transition from one green to a tee doesn't involve a path at hoylake it's from the members first to the mm -hmm. second tee where essentially you have the apron sort of cuts uh from the green straight into the tee mm -hmm. and it's beautiful and my favorite place i think of anywhere that I've been uh, is probably Carnoustie. Yeah, it's um, phenomenal at that. Uh, and I would say from one green to the next tee, not just on the championship course, but on the burn side and on the budden courses as well, I can't think of many out of those 54 holes that actually have a formal path that goes from a green to a tee. It's all just a continuation just, of that apron. flow around, yeah, yeah. What 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 are your thoughts on that? Because to my mind, that must do a very good job of of spreading foot traffic around, mm. um, rather than a path which might actually inadvertently cause a little bit of a problem by focusing foot traffic together to one point, and then where people enter and exit that path could actually concentrate where um, in the way that Carnoustie is able to avoid it. Well, I I. It's a really good way that you'd mention that, actually, because when, when we were designing the irrigation system at Royal St. Ports with Adrian Mortram, I played Carnoustie during that time and came. I remember phoning Adrian that night after playing it and saying, Adrian, we need to rip up this design and start again because really? I see a different way of doing things now. And we walked the course that next Monday and we, we put in a load of new sprinklers, lo loads of infinity big big heads 20 meter heads in between like walking off the first green to the second we opened these areas right up we corrode some areas off we stripped the kind of tops off reseeded them all uh, and we dug out any of the red shale paths that were left uh, and i basically kind of felt with carnoustie you could put from the first tee exactly to the 18th green right the way around the course and that's what that was the any time Alistair Beggs came down, because he's my agronomist at deal, I would say, this is what we want to try and achieve, this is what we want in the flow, and he was in complete agreement with that. And we achieved that with a new irrigation design. I, To me, Carnoustie is the course that, because of that, flows just so so well. Um, and it's accentuated because they have that short grass mm -hmm. transition between them. Uh, but I, obviously by nature of what I do, spend a lot of time thinking about this, and I also spend a fair amount of time looking at grainy old black and white photos of courses from years uh, years gone. And it's something that you notice a lot. It's a recurring theme that I certainly notice anyway. And I wonder 
remember when we went to the Lawnmower Museum, Blitz, yes, in Southport, and if you've got a horse-drawn, ground, mm-hmm. ground-driven, you know, yeah, yeah, the yeah. propulsion for the blades for the cylinder is coming mm-hmm. from the wheels turning, yeah, and it's almost impossible then to disengage if, yeah. if the wheels, are, if the if the mower is being dragged by a horse, it's cutting grass. Mm-hmm. There's no off switch. You can't just drive well, from one point to the next. On the contrary. Oh, is that? Yeah. Uh, trailed gangs still have like a lever that you could pull out that would, okay, so you can that disen- would disengage the reel. Okay. But I get what you're saying. And, and there would have been some that you couldn't. Uh, and you're exactly right because you would just keep going. And that's the reason probably why. That's my point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like, it, it almost felt like um, you know, the, the mower starts at a certain point wherever the sheds are, mm-hmm. and then it's just one 18 hole cut, mm-hmm. then all the way, all the way through. This um, is what we try and get the guys to do here. We've got three ferry mowers. Uh, our, our paths are usually too, too wide, and maybe the third would go on a T bank. So when they finish cutting a fairway, they all just go up the next path together. Yeah, because they're going that way anyway. They're and I going... guess that's more efficient, then, isn't it? Cause totally, because you're... you're driving that way, so you may as well cut. Yeah. At the same time, so yeah, yeah. A and really good example of that for for me as well is is actually at Dornock. Um, have you noticed that on the Foxy, the the famous fourteenth hole at, at Dornock? I've not been to Dornock since I worked at Kings Barn, so that really? was fifteen plus years ago. <sighs> Scott's never invited me back. Well, that's disgraceful, Scott. Get 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 Ledgy up there to go and have a look at your mowing lines at fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen. Because the surely we should do a we should do a Dornock trip this year. I'd love that. Dornock's one of my favourites. We'll take Peacock up. But the the way they, as I understand it, the way they cut those three holes, uh, ba- basically it's just one long fairway mm-hmm. across the three holes, and then the guys go ahead, cut them in in one in one swoop, and then someone else comes back. There's the greens and aprons and I mean whatever it's... else. It's phenomenal. I mean, the amount, the amount of money and time we spend in our paths these days. You always talk about everyone. When we talk about uh, Trump Aberdeen, how do you enjoy it? Oh, the best paths I've ever seen. It's funny how we, we judge our golf courses now by paths. I do think it's <coughs> very important, something that I always focus on, the difference between architecture and decoration. Um, and I think that occasionally there are certain elements of modern architecture that I might say respectfully or a little more decoration than they are proper architecture. Um, however, it's not to be dismissive of them. You know, things like paths and um, the aesthetic presentation of a course at large is incredibly important mm. because for so many people, especially the people who only visit somewhere once, realistically, I'm acutely aware that if you've got a very intelligent, interesting hole to play, if you can spot that the first time you play it, I'm almost skeptical. I'm almost. I'm almost not sure. I believe you. You know, it, the the holes that work best from a real design perspective are the ones that you have to play again, five, again. six, ten times. Before it's like you really listening to them. a great album. Yeah. Uh, the first time I listened to Division Bell, Pink Floyd, I probably thought, "Oh, it's good. It's all right." And now I just think it's epic. Yeah. And there are golf courses that get better every time you play them. I think there are also some golf courses that, dare I say, actually get slightly worse when you've mm. played them 10 times. Because what impressed you and awed you the first time, the perhaps that's the views or, or the presentation, uh, you know, it's not that we ever tire. Like take our 11th hole at Hoylake, for example. 
That mm. is perhaps the most beautiful setting. Oh, it's one of my f- favourite ever golf holes. Uh. But by the time, you know, I've played golf here my entire life, and I still stand on that green, and I still marvel at how beautiful the yeah, outlook yeah, is. Yeah. Yep. But it is only one piece of the of the hole. You know, the fact the hole itself is a fantastic par three is the thing that means that every time you come back, that's what makes it special. Mm-hmm. It's not the view. The view is part of it. If if a visitor comes to Hoylake once, they might have got their phone out on that green and taken a photo, mm-hmm. and they would have been able to enjoy it because of the view. But if you were to ask the members who see it every single time they play golf, mm-hmm. what they think of the whole, what makes the whole special, it's the angle of the green, it's mm-hmm. the runoffs, it's the bunker that's that's just where you know the you're drops come off. It's 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 the it's all of the yeah. pieces that you never tire of. I I would liken Royal Liverpool to Radiohead and Rainbows if I was going to pick an album. Does that make sense? It it does to me, <laughs> but what 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 is it that? Because I think it's an important thing, you know, the fact that there are certain places that take a bit of time to peel away the layers. No, I've 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 loved Hoylake more and more. I've played it. Good, uh, especially the the open room. Hint. Wow. <laughs> That's, uh, That's another quickly podcast. Move on to. We'll get sacked. <laughs> <laughs> let's quickly move on to next question, which is uh, your favourite resources for learning about all things architecture, greenkeeping, and agronomy. Well, I'll come on to the architecture bit because it's a question I get asked quite a lot. What shall I read, etc. But what about you, Bledge? Greenkeeping and agronomy? Where uh, I'm not a big reader, as you know, I can't read. Uh, I don't have the patience to read at all. I I, I would read a page. And then forget what the hell I've just read. Really? Re- re- read, yeah. I, what about it just doesn't go in. Audiobooks, bit better, yeah. I, I, I mean, I listened to the Alan Partridge audiobook on holiday there. Do you learn much greenkeeping from Alan? Uh, I feel, I, I, feel I, I think he's an awesome greenkeeper. <laughs> uh, but the uh, I, I like podcasts, as you know. So good, good, good podcasts. If you want to get really technical, you've got the On the Horizon one with. Uh, which is the ICL one with Henry Beshley, uh and Glenn Kirby. Very, very good guys, very knowledgeable, talking about disease forecasting, fertilising, things to look out for. It's not a sales pitch, very good podcast. Uh, you've obviously got the Cookie Jar one, which are good friends of ours, which cover all sorts of bases. They've got some of the best guests on ever. Brilliant. Yeah, I, I described, um, especially the episode with uh, our good friend Alistair Beggs, uh, that he did that excellent episode. Mm. Uh, it's almost like the gateway, gateway drug into agronomy. I think. Yeah, so yeah. Many Fraser people... Peacock for me the other night about that and said that how much he loved the the the, the Beggs one. Well, I think it just raises a few load of things that so many casual golfers won't have considered mm. before. And we're just we're just gutted that it wasn't on our podcast. <laughs> well, I think if if that, if that's the gateway drug, we need to get into the hard stuff. Yes. Um, on, on our podcast and 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 go down a bit of a rabbit hole with a few of those topics. And there's, and if you want to get into the American side, we've always got Joe Galotti, our friend, talking Greenkeeper. He's brilliant. He's really good guests. Very interesting. Uh, I've been lucky enough to be on that three times. Hat-trick on Joe's. Uh, and we have Stuart Emerson's and Jack Hellington's one that never got off the ground, unfortunately. had four episodes. It was very good. Turfs up. I oh. wish they'd kept going, but... Maybe now they've had uh, a plug from you, Bledge, they might uh, they might 
Just the great name for a podcast that is Toughs, Toughs Up. Great, isn't it? Really good. It, the production was super that. and everything, and it? it was really, really good. Well, clearly, many, many streets ahead of us for, for all of those reasons. So, how about your architecture books then? Um, I think that podcasts, it depends how deep you want to go, doesn't it? You know, you've got the different, uh, are you just after a very basic intro to the to the subject? I, I kind of feel that if you're listening to this podcast, then you're probably slightly beyond that anyway. Um, but really, you know, Derek Duncan does a really good uh, podcast with uh, interviews with architects, uh, which is called Feed the Ball. Derek is the... Uh, the golf architecture editor for Golf Digest. Uh, so, so that's that's something that I always enjoy listening to. Obviously, the fried egg. Um, that I think there's no one who's going to have heard of golf badges who hasn't already heard of fried egg. So I'm not really not really telling any, anyone anything new here. So, book wise, uh, that again, fried Jeff, egg. Though some really need to check a lot of their facts. Oh yeah, you had a bit of a. Well, I I just. Uh, if you're going to talk about stuff, you need to get it right. Okay. I think. Okay. Well, like, they'd never ever been like a... to, to Britain and they were saying about sand scrapes and they oh. actually got it wrong saying Martin Ebert designed the, the changes at Dornock when he never either. So. Well, I'm Fact sure check, I'm sure that Andy and Garris are definitely not going to listen to this, but if they do, it feels like the gauntlet's been thrown down there by Bledgy. Um, but from a book perspective... There you go, Grassroots by Richard Pennell. That's yes, nice I've book. got a, a lovely copy of Richard Pennell's Grassroots. I actually have read most of this. Uh, our friend Richard Pennell, who was the he was the uh, assistant secretary at New Zealand and then the secretary at Woking, Woking, has written this beautiful book this year. And the cover uh, is the Par 3 course at North Foreland in Kent, which is one of my favourite golf courses. James Lear, his absolute favourite golf course. And it basically talks How about... about the course, isn't it? Father and Simpson. Yes, it is, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and the chapters are all uh, golf courses that he's played, uh, at which most of you guys will have either been members or of or have played. So that's uh, Richard Pennell. What's, what's Richard's name on, on the old Twitter? Uh, Pitchmarks. Pitchmarks. So have a look at Pitchmarks. He'll send you a signed copy. I played great played photography Cleave. in here as well. A lot I played Cleave a few stuff. weeks ago with Richard. Um which was which was uh, really really lovely. Richard's a lovely guy. He's one of the nicest, you know. But, um, I mean, the photography in here is fantastic as well. No, uh, that's great recommendation, Bledge. But I think um, for for intro to architecture stuff, Jeff Shackelford wrote a book earlier this year, um, which which is basically uh, the an, an introduction to golf course architecture. Obviously, Tom Doak wrote a very famous one, which would be a slightly deeper level of of, of knowledge, perhaps, which is. Um, you know, anatomy of a golf course is almost a bit of a seminal text, uh, and really, you you could almost make the case. I'm probably doing both of them great disservice here, um, but a lot of the principles of anatomy of a golf course are uh, are those also stuck into the great Spirit of St Andrews book by Alistair Mackenzie. So, what's the one with the dork scale? Well, that was his confidential guide. That was basically um, a, a series of books as it turned out when he spent a year uh, going around the country playing playing all the golf courses what a ridiculous thing to have done did um, we get rated in that here yeah yeah we did do you, what, can do you, you remember what it was yeah out of 10? we were a seven seven out of ten Doke seven well a seven out of ten is different to what most people might give a seven out of ten i think the the, the doke scale god we've opened pandora's box now but 
I think the Doak scale is still definitely the best way of ranking golf courses because it's not really ranking individual courses. It's sticking them into, into categories, uh, which I realistically, you know, if someone were to say, oh, I think so-and-so is the 27th best course in the country and this is the 29th, it's like, Come on. Uh, the rating thing's done my head in for years. Yeah, ex- exactly. Like it's it's um I'm 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 not sold on on individual numbers, but I am very much sold on uh I think dope to give a ten is a course that you'd say is near perfection and, and you should drop everything and immediately go and play it. And there are very, very few, maybe half a dozen in the country that he would to give a ten to. Um and I think maybe he'd say the the average course the average quality of course, which is not to say a bad course by any means, but just an average course. Uh, I can't remember exactly what number you'd give it, but a two or a three, something like that. All it's, right. it's basically to differentiate at the uh, at, at the top end of the of the scale, really. Um, mm. And I think what he did in in, in that was very uh, very useful and um, really still incredibly relevant. Now it's very rare that. If someone really understands that and you go and play golf with someone, you might disagree by, you know, I might say it's a, this place is an eight and someone else might say it's a seven or vice versa. The badger scale. But no one, no one I know who really understands it would come away and say, oh, I think this is a five and this is a nine. You know, it's amazing how people can often agree to maybe one point of difference between mm-hmm. between things, which I'd quite like to do that. I think it'd be quite nice to kind of make your own scale up, wouldn't it really? To it is, but I think he's done a very good job of it. So, um, so I think that, <coughs> yeah, Anatomy of a Golf Course. Um, Keith Gutton wrote a great book on the evolution of golf course architecture, which is or golf course design, he called it, uh, which again is is quite hard to come by. Actually, I, I think he only printed a certain number of those books, and and uh, they they're quite hard to find find now. But I think it's interesting if you were taking a slightly deeper view, uh, want to learn a bit more about it, the fact that you can actually go along and um, and basically understand why courses of different eras were built in the way they were, because there's a lot more to it than just the architects, you know, it's a lot of um, everything else that was going on in the world at the time. So he did a great job in in basically laying out how, how golf courses evolved and trends and styles evolved over the years. Can I, can I show you the worst book ever? The Mathematics of Turf, gra- turf Grass Maintenance, fourth edition. Brutal. They, they had four. They had four editions, though. Can't be that Nick bad. Nick E. Christians and Michael L. Angu. Uh, it's super technical, and it's all in it's all in imperial as well. I think that might be level of detail beyond the average. No, it's not symmetric there. Look. That's good. What about um, practical greenkeeping? Yeah, that's the that's what people call the Bible. Uh, I wish that would be rewritten. Actually, I mean, I I really love all Jim Arthur's stuff and his way of thinking. Uh, completely agree. I'm a very actually I'm a quite a traditional greenkeeper. I think I find, uh, but I think that book needs rewritten with uh, with a modern twist on it. We just need someone to rewrite it. Why don't you do it then? Because I'm illiterate. <laughs> you could do that pledge. Get chap. Chat GPT on the case. Uh, chat G- you could do, couldn't we? Uh, yeah. okay. uh, uh, do you know what? Actually, that's a good idea. I think. I think. Uh, maybe speak to Alistair Beggs. We could we've watched Go Halfers on it. <laughs> I can see the the wheels turning in in old oh, oh, Bledgie's mind. Yeah, there, yeah. Uh, I've got another project, winter project for uh, him. Yeah, yeah. There we go. 
Okay, well, is there anything else, Bledge, or should we wish our followers a happy Christmas? Yes, and... ah, yeah. I, I, I hope everyone has a, a, a happy Christmas. It's been a, 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 a brilliant year for myself and Sam. Uh, we've really enjoyed this action. I think it's probably been a wee bit more of a success than we first thought it was going to be. We've kept our roots as well by having the inadequate recording equipment and downgraded studio. Strussy, Lee, Lee Struss, uh, a, a very popular guest, uh, as he was on the podcast, said that he quite liked it because it was like listening to two boring blokes in the pub having a having a chat. And, it's and the biggest compliment you could have paid us. Really. Um, and I was quite proud of that. So, yeah. um, so hopefully, if you've if you made it this this far, um, thanks very much for listening. We will try and get a nice roster of guests coming up in the new year. Mm. Um, but uh, but Bledge, as ever, it's a pleasure to do this with you. So. Well done this year. Likewise. You've had a pretty special year and no less than you deserve. So um, it's great to learn learn as much as I can from you, mate. Ah, likewise. And we'll see, we'll see you all in 2024. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy Christmas. Happy New Year. <laughs>